Welcome. You've entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simran Singh. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Learn to empower yourself, broaden your mind, open your heart, and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simran Singh. Hello, I'm so happy to be with you again this week, and we have an exciting show. It's going to be a really interesting conversation, because this conversation truly allows you to understand that we're more than our physical body. We actually extend and have many different dimensions that are going on at the same time. We have the ability and so much more power than we allow ourselves to believe at times. And we can get caught up in the control and the chaos that goes on around us. But in the end, the greatest gift we can give ourselves, the greatest lesson that we can learn is the deep, deep healing power of true self-love. And I think that that's the main thing that I want you to get out of this entire story. And it is a very interesting story and a very interesting journey that Anita Murjani has had. We're going to be talking about the book Dying to Be Me, which hit the New York Times bestseller list, so definitely get your copy and read this incredible story. It's Dying to Be Me, My Journey from Cancer to Near Death to True Healing. And this inspirational memoir is really about Anita's own journey. After fighting cancer for almost four years, her body was overwhelmed by malignant cells, which were spreading throughout her system and began shutting down. And as her organs failed, she entered into an extraordinary near-death experience where she realized her inherent worth and the actual cause of her disease. So there's a lot of interesting points that are going to be talked about today, so definitely tune up your ears so that you can hear everything that's going on. I want you to know that the account of Anita's experience has been documented by NDERF, Near Death Experience Research Foundation, and has been classified as an exceptional NDE. You can find out more videos and more information at anitamorjani.com. But without further ado, I'd like to welcome Anita Morjani to 1111 Talk Radio. Hello, Anita. Hi, Simran. Thanks for having me on your show. It's such an honor to be here. Well, it's wonderful to have you. And before we really get into your story, I'd like to kind of do a little background because I know that disease really shows up in the body um, many times because of emotional cause, really what we're treating ourselves as, how we're feeling in addition to toxicity and other things in our environment. Can you set the stage as to what led to this experience of cancer first and foremost so that people can kind of identify in their lives some of the things that they might be doing and support themselves in perhaps changing some choices? Sure. In fact, I used to live a life uh, of fear. First of all, it started with constantly feeling not good enough. I constantly, even as a youngster, I used to always feel I had to work hard at trying to fit in, at trying to be more lovable, at trying to be more feminine or to conform to my culture. And I always felt that I didn't measure up. I always felt that I had to uh, work at being more spiritual. And later on, it was a lot of things. It was things like um, um, my, my culture. I'm Indian. My family are Hindus. And my parents wanted me to have an arranged marriage, and I defied that. I didn't want to do that because I was brought up in a more Western environment, and I was exposed to different cultures. And so I never felt I belonged either to Indian culture or to Western culture. Um, so I always felt that I didn't meet up, meet external expectations. Um, and then... Um, I, I, I am married now. I did get married. But um, as an adult, I also developed a lot of fears about 
illnesses, and um, I was very obsessive about eating the right foods. So it was never about eating the right foods because I cared about my body and my life. It was more out of a fear, a fear of getting sick and a fear of doing the wrong thing. So basically, um, my whole life, you could say, I lived very fearfully. But at the time, I wasn't aware I was doing that. It, it seemed almost normal because fear can be, it's very pervasive and you don't really know it's there sometimes until it's gone. And then, and then you can make, in hindsight, you can make the comparison. It's kind of like sometimes when you have the hum of an air conditioner going on in the background. So you can have this fear in your mind all the time and you don't know it's there. But when somebody switches the air conditioner off, that's when you know that uh, that's in the silence. You can, then you can sense that, ah, there was this noise there and it's now gone. There's a, a very strong point that you brought up, and that was the choices and what they stem from. Mm-hmm. So one point that a lot of listeners can can take from that is that when we are making our choices, are we basing them from a place of fear or a p- place of love? Mm-hmm. Are we are we are we choosing the foods that we're wanting to eat because we're so afraid of becoming ill? Or are we choosing the foods that we want to eat because we truly love ourselves enough to give ourselves that thing? And, and, and there's a real distinction there, and it, and it does take that stillness and that, that calmness to really start to look at your life in that way and dissect your own life in that way. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And um, I didn't realize it, but I had become pathologically fearful. And I believe now looking around me that as a as a culture as a race the human race we have become pathologically fearful and it really takes conscious effort to break out of that and to really look at yourself and your life with love and to make different choices or even if you make the same choices but make it from a different frame of mind so then comes the point where you are diagnosed or you find a lump and you're diagnosed with cancer. So someone who is living very much in fear, that seems like something like that would just send you that much more into fear. What happened at that point? Oh, I was so much into fear. Now, I had lost, oh, actually I was in the process of losing two people to cancer. At the time I was diagnosed, my best friend and my husband's brother-in-law were both suffering from cancer, and I was watching them deteriorate. So um, I had this lump, and at first um, I ignored it. I didn't want it to be anything. But the fear of watching two people with cancer made me go and have it checked out. And the lump was at the base of my neck on my collarbone. And when it, uh, and then when the doctor biopsied it, it turned out it was lymphoma. Uh, and uh, that really sent the fear uh, I mean it was yeah, it was probably tenfold after that and I just felt that it was a death sentence from the minute the doctor said cancer I felt it was a death sentence because um, I was watching I was watching my best friend deteriorate and she had been suffering from cancer for about seven or eight months at that point and from the time she got diagnosed to that time she had deteriorated drastically and I just felt this is exactly what's in store for me and so in in going into that place of fear and having it uh, actually strengthened do you think that's why your body continued to go into such a deteriorated state because you ended up 
uh, having cancer pretty much throughout your body, correct? Yes, it's spread over the over a period of almost four years. Um, the cancer spread throughout my body, um, throughout my lymphatic system, and um, I know that. Well, at the time, I didn't realize it, but in my NDE, I absolutely understood exactly why I got the cancer and what caused it. And um, but it spread throughout my lymphatic system from the base of my skull all the way down. Um, under my arms, my chest, and down to below my abdomen, and um, and I had open skin lesions, and as, as it progressed, as I got worse and worse, um, I had uh, open skin lesions, fluid, and I had fluid in my lungs, so I was constantly coughing and choking. Towards the end, towards the last couple of weeks. Um, I was connected to an oxygen tank. My muscles had completely wasted away. I weighed about 84 pounds. Um, I was restricted to either a wheelchair or I was in bed all the time. I had a low-grade fever all the time. Um, and uh, you could see the tumors. The, my whole lymphatic system was swollen with tumors, so you could actually see them on my neck and all over my body because I was really, really skinny. My, um, all my, my muscles were completely wasted. Now, I know that the tumors were sizes of lemons. That's how your doctors describe them. Yes. In being in this kind of state, were you ready to go? Did you want to go or did you want to fight in state? For a long time, I was fighting. I was, I was very, very scared of death. I was scared of the cancer. I was scared of death. I was scared of everything. And so for a long time, I was just fighting and fighting, and I was trying everything to stay alive. But then I reached the point where it was just too painful to stay alive. I was in so much discomfort. Um, I couldn't sleep at night because I was in so much discomfort and so much pain. Every time I lied down, I would cough and choke um, and because my lungs were filled with fluid. And so I had to sleep um, sort of semi-reclining. And um, so on the night of February the 2nd of 2006, I was pretty much ready to go at that point. After fighting and fighting, I then felt I was ready to let go. I was tired. I was very, very tired, tired of fighting and tired of suffering and tired of um, everyone else around me suffering, I felt I wasn't any good anymore to anyone around me, and I was ready to just let go. So let me back up just a second. Did you notice that specific situations or emotions or certain types of treatments would trigger the ups and downs of your condition? Did you go back and forth in the lymphoma to uh, to a little bit of recovery, then back to, to full-fledged disease, or was it pretty much a downhill course the entire way? Oh, there were ups and downs. I felt there was one point where I totally immersed myself in uh, Ayurvedic treatment. I went to India and I studied under a Indian yogi master. And um, and I I'm not actually saying any one treatment is better than any other, but what I noticed about that situation was that my fear was alleviated because the yogi master was very, very inspiring and told me that the cancer is just your body's way of showing you imbalance, and so let's work on balancing your body. And um, and so he treated it very differently, 
and I felt really good, you know, so I would wake up and I would follow the Ayurvedic diet and I would do yoga in the morning at 6 in the morning and again in the evening. And so it was just a completely different way of life. But the main I'm going to have you break right there, Anita. We've got to go to commercial break, and then we'll continue that when we come back. Anita Morjani was diagnosed with terminal cancer, and doctors told her family she was just hours away from death. It was at this point that she crossed over and then returned again into this world with a clearer understanding of her life, her purpose, and why she was here and what she was to tell us. This understanding subsequently led to a total recovery of her health. We are discussing her recent book just released in March of 2012, Dying to Be Me, My Journey from Cancer to Near Death to True Healing. And this is already a New York Times bestseller. There's also a feature article in the current issue of 1111 Magazine, and you can access uh, all, all issues of 1111 Magazine freely from our website. That's 1111mag.com. Definitely take a look at that article. It is uh, Wayne Dyer interviewing Anita Morjani, and it's absolutely wonderful. We'll be right back with Anita Morjani, anitamorjani.com. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. If you'd like to join today's discussion, please call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5795. Again, 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to info at believesc.com. Now back to 1111 Talk Radio with Simran Singh. I'm speaking today with Anita Morjani, the author of Dying to Be Me, a newly New York Times bestseller. It's just been released in March of 2012. And as part of a traditional Hindu family residing in a largely Chinese and British society, Anita had been pushed and pulled by cultural and religious customs since she was a little girl. After years of struggling to forge her own path while trying to meet everyone else's expectations, she had a realization as a result of her epiphany on the other side that she had the power to heal herself and that there
there are miracles in the universe that she had never even imagined. Much of what led to this disease was a strong basis of fear, and that fear caused the body to constrict. So as you hear this story, regardless of her cultural and religious customs, understand that the choices in your life also may be stemmed from fear, or you may have things in your life that are causing you to be fearful, causing you to have stress, anxiety, create inflammation in the body, and allow disease to occur where it doesn't need to. And as you continue to hear her story, you're going to hear some very enlightening conversation. Anita is speaking at several events, particularly the I Can Do It events featured by Hay House. There is one in Atlanta, April 14th and 15th, and you can go to Anita's website and find out about the other events, along with a lot of other videos and interviews and things if you'd like to know more information. The website is Anita Morjani, A-N-I-T-A, M-O-O-R-J-A-N-I.com, AnitaMurjani.com. Welcome back, Anita. We were speaking a little bit about you practicing some of the Ayurvedic techniques and getting into yoga and doing some of those things in India. And not that one uh, alternative healing method is better than the other, but that one did seem to help uh, for a while. But there were specific situations or emotions or treatments that would uh, have you spike or drop down in your diagnosis. That's right. And I'm um, looking back now uh, at the pattern, I can, t- I can actually see the ones that made me feel good and made me feel really positive about my health were the ones where I actually got better and felt really uh, a lot better. My health improved dramatically when I was in India for about six months. And I was practicing under this Ayurvedic master and because I was feeling emotionally great and then I started to feel physically really well. But after I came back to Hong Kong and... um, I faced a lot of skepticism from people, and then I faced my best friend actually dying from cancer, and then, um, and when I watched her die, and then people telling me that, so what have you done about yours, and have you gone back to the oncologist, have you had a scan again, and I said, no, I hadn't, and the fear, the fear all came back, and that was when my health started deteriorating again, and I could feel myself deteriorating, and then I went to the doctor and found that I had, I had, uh, the, the cancer was back and I had the tumors again. And, um, and now I can kind of see the pattern. It was really when, when I was feeling really, really good and positive, that was when even my health started to reflect that. Now, I know that uh, in many books and, and many teachers also say that cancer stems from embedded bitterness and anger. Did you have any of those types of emotions that would have also contributed to the cancer, or was it? did you learn through the near-death experience that cancer is really mostly fear-based? Well, what I feel is that cancer is emotion-based. It could be different emotions for different people, but what I feel is that, um, is that there's very little um, attention given to the emotional causes of cancer. In terms of research, I think that we, uh, the the research going towards uh, emotional causes or emotional triggers for cancer. I mean, this is has been grossly underrated. People are still looking purely for um, for medicinal. They're looking at uh, purely at medicine for cancer cures, but. Uh, I think that's really only part of the solution, and uh, and 
And basically, drugs, cancer drugs, may be, may be able to help us manage the symptoms, if even, but there is a root cause that's much deeper, and, <clears throat> and we're not even looking at that. In my case, it was fears. I'm sure there could be other emotions, but I believe personally that for many people, I'm not even going to say all people, but for many people, cancer is a disease of the emotions. It very much starts at the emotions. It certainly did with me. And, so and so February, tw- February 2nd, 2006, you were just exhausted, extremely tired, and at that point was the point where you literally surrendered and, yes. and said, I'm ready to go, or I surrender to whatever's supposed to happen. So in that moment, did all of the fear disappear, and then you were brought into this uh, near-death experience? Well, actually, <clears throat> for... Um, that was the first time uh, I actually went to sleep. And and the thing is, well, I actually told the nurse before she left, is I said, can you inject some morphine or give me an extra dose of morphine because I'm so tired, I really want to sleep. And then it was the following morning that I didn't wake up. I just um, I, I just didn't wake up. And so when my husband saw me, he was he was really, really worried because I'd just fallen into a coma. And I had been, um, I was being cared for at home up until that point because even though I'd been going in and out of hospitals, I was actually staying at home and I had a full-time nurse caring for me at home. Um, but at that point in the morning of... Um, Actually, it was February the 1st when, I, when, when I, I let go and February the 2nd in the morning. I just um, didn't wake up. My eyes were closed and I'd gone into a coma. So my husband called my doctor who told him to rush me to the hospital straight away. And so they just rushed me to the hospital. And, and when the oncologist at the hospital saw me, the oncologist just said, it's too late. These are her final hours. Apparently, my body had started to swell up, and the oncologist said her organs have now started failing. Her organs are shutting down, and that's why the um, the body is now swelling up. And so, basically, they told my family these were my final hours. But what they didn't realize was I was aware of everything that was happening around me, everything that was going on, everything that they were saying. And um, and I was so this feeling, entire time at the hospital, you're you're hearing this conversation going on, and you're hearing what what how they're saying that your body is and what's about to happen to you. Yes, I was hearing everything that they were saying that my organs had shut down, and they were saying these were my final hours. And then a doctor was having a conversation with my husband quite a ways down the hallway, nowhere near where my body was lying, but I was aware of that. It seemed like I had just expanded, like I had spilled out of my body and I just became aware of everything that was happening even well beyond my body. And I felt this incredible, like a lightness, like I felt for the first time in so long, I felt really amazing. I felt healed. I felt light and free and liberated, and there was no more pain. There was no more fear. Um, you know, and I, for the first time, I felt no discomfort. It, was, it just felt incredible, really, really incredible. Now, had you died, or were you in a place in between death and life? 
It's hard to say. I suppose I it could have been a place in between, um, and but it just it just sort of kept going because in the uh, shortly after that I started to feel like I was encompassed by what I can only describe as unconditional love, and even the word unconditional love doesn't do it justice because. It's nothing like I had ever felt in this physical life. It was like, for the first time, I felt loved unconditionally, like I didn't have to do anything or be anything or prove myself in order to be loved. It was as though I I was loved just because I exist and no other reason. And, And I felt so accepted. It was like, for the first time, I had come home. It was so comforting it was just it was just an amazing feeling now you were also aware of things that were going on thousands and thousands of miles away your your brother getting on a plane yes. um even in other dimensions your 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 best friend you you realized was always around you yes. talk a little daughter. bit about being able to sense or be aware of that vast uh, a space or time uh, of knowledge yeah, it was like time and space was irrelevant in that realm. It just didn't mean anything. I could be anywhere and any time. Um, I just had to um, put my focus on it, and my awareness was there. So I became aware of my brother, who was really distressed and trying to get to me before I died. He was in India, and I was in Hong Kong, in a hospital in Hong Kong. So my brother was thousands and thousands of miles away. Uh, rushing to get on a plane to get to me in time. I became aware of my father, who I had lost 10 years prior, and my best friend, who I had lost to cancer just two years prior. I became aware that they were around me and were helping me even through my illness. And um, I became, I was aware that I was surrounded by beings, but I didn't recognize them all. But all I could feel was unconditional love. And during my life while growing up, I had always had differences with my father. You know, we we were always, I was always rebelling against our cultural uh, values, you know, and I, I didn't, I didn't want to have an arranged marriage and so on. And, but in this realm, all I felt from him was unconditional love. In life, I'd in physical life, I had always felt that I had let him down or I somehow didn't meet up to his expectations. But in that realm, I understood that all he was doing was that he was loving me in the only way he knew how and that underneath all these cultural restrictions, which are just restrictions of being in the physical, um, underneath that, all he had for me was unconditional love. And I became aware also that it was um, that like I was connected to everyone. This is so hard to explain because it's like when we're not expressing through our physical bodies, there's no boundary of where I end and you begin. And and so it was like I merged with them, like I was connected to them or I became them. So my communication with them and theirs with me, it was not verbal. It was like I knew what they wanted me to know. My guest today is Anita Morjani. She is the author of the recently released book, Dying to Be Me, My Journey from Cancer to Near Death to True Healing. 
Uh, it's a very inspirational book and mostly one of really deep love, understanding what true love and true healing, uh, how they are equivalent to each other. She started to understand why she had cancer and started to understand that it was not her time and that she had a choice as to whether or not she wanted to come back into her body or continue into death. But she came back and came back to bring us a lot of wisdom and a lot of understanding of what she discovered in her near-death experience. You can find out more about Anita Morjani on her website, anitamorjani.com. You can also find out about several upcoming events, and they are the I Can Do It Hay House events. You can find those on her website as well. It's anitamorjani.com, A-N-I-T-A-M-O-O-R-J-A-N-I.com. Again, the book is Dying to Be Me, My Journey from Cancer to Near Death to True Healing. We'll be right back with Anita Morjani. This is the Seventh Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. If you'd like to join today's discussion, please call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5795. Again, 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to info at believesc.com. Now back to 1111 Talk Radio with Simran Singh. On the 2nd of February, 2006, Anita Morjani experienced what most of us never have. She crossed over and came back, and she's sharing what she has learned. Doctors at the hospital had given Anita just hours to live when she arrived at the hospital that morning, unable to move as a result of the cancer that had ravaged her body for over three years. Anita Murjani shares her experiences of entering another dimension and being given a choice of whether to return to life or not. She experienced great clarity and understanding of her life and the purpose here on earth. The book is entitled Dying to Be Me, and it has hit the New York Times bestseller list and was just released March of this year. So you definitely need to get your copy and get some understanding as to how disease is created and how we can hold and release fear and actually allow love to come in. So we were talking about um, a little bit you had mentioned about unconditional love and how that 
really was a, an experience that you you truly truly felt there. Is that something you've been able to hold on to the the full depth of that feeling and experience uh, in in coming back and living now? It certainly changed my perspective and affected my life um, after coming back. Even though I'm, um, it's hard to hold on to exactly that intensity. What it did teach me was that it's really, really important to love myself, which is something I had never learned to do my entire life up to that point. And, and I have now, uh, after that experience of being, feeling that unconditional love, what it taught me was how valuable I am, how valuable we all are, and how magnificent we all are, and how each of us is so such an intrinsic part of this whole that I've started to value myself and love myself so much more as I make my way through my life in this world, and that is what has changed my life drastically after coming back. Now, that might be a big question for people, Anita, because there are going to be some people that are saying, well, I, I love myself, I, I know what that means, and there are other people that are probably sitting there asking, well, what does that look like? What does loving yourself truly look like? So can you kind of take us into your version of loving yourself so that people can have an understanding of some of the things that maybe they can do to, to tap into that type of self-love? Yeah, sure. Um, now, I used to be a people pleaser. I used to always put myself last because it was so important to me for other people to like me, so I would bend over backwards to make sure other people liked me. And I would do things even if I didn't want to do it. I would say yes even if I meant no because I didn't want people to dislike me. And I used to do it so that people would think that I was more loving. Now, I did it to the point where I would become so drained, but I felt it was selfish not to do it. And I grew up believing that I always had to put other people before me. To me, loving myself means really treating myself with the same respect that I would treat anybody I cared for. When we really care for someone, we treat them with respect. We don't want them to be uncomfortable. We don't want them to do things that they don't want to do. It means treating myself with that level of respect and treating and honoring my feelings. So the most important thing for me now is to always check in with my emotions and my feelings and do things that make me feel happy and make me feel joyful and make me feel passionate about my life and and to do things that give me a reason for living and enjoying my life and and basically being authentic and being true to myself and not being afraid of being myself and being true to myself and and also not constantly trying to suppress myself or being less than who I am just to try and please other people. Now, did self-love also change how you prioritized different things in your life in terms of, of experiences or people or um, family, career, those types of things? Did it change any of that perspective? Yes, it did, actually. It made me um, change the way I look at things like a family career and and um, now um, at one time say many years ago I would probably choose a career or a job uh, although I always wanted independence finance would probably be a pretty high priority because I believed that 
finance, having more money would lead me to more independence. So the amount of money I earned was pretty high, um, was something I would rank pretty high. And what I would rank pretty low was actually what the job entailed. So very often I'd be at a job that I didn't enjoy, like maybe a desk job or a corporate job, which I didn't really enjoy, but that would pay quite well. Today I would never, in fact, I cannot do that anymore since my near-death experience because I value life too much, way too much. Uh, I find that I'm unable to do things that I cannot enjoy, and even if it means earning less money, I find that I need to have a greater purpose to what I do. I need to have more. Uh, I, f- I find that I do actually have more passion about life, and everything I do has to reflect that passion and that joy. It's not about the money. I, I know the money, you know, it'll, it'll take care of itself, but it's about having a much greater purpose to life than about the money. I mean, even now, I've written a book, but I, I wrote the book because it was fun to write it. Um, I wasn't even thinking in terms of publishing or finding a publisher when I was writing it. I wrote it for more for cathartic reasons. Prior to having the cancer or upon having the cancer, do you feel like your life had uh, meaning then? And in compared to what that was then, does your life have more meaning now? Oh, it has way more meaning now. I think prior to having cancer, I had a lot of fears about uh, a, a lot of things, everything, fear about the future, about um you know, about our careers and how we were doing and whether we were going to have children and whether we would have enough money in the future, whether we were going to buy a home and where we were going to buy it. It was constantly thinking about all these different stressful things. I would buy into um, a lot of the, you know, like the worries about in our country what the government tells you about the economy, whether it's doing badly and whether this is the right time in the market to buy a home or not, and people saying that school fees are getting more expensive, it's getting harder to raise children. So I would buy into all of that and constantly worry about things that hadn't even happened yet, constantly. But whereas I don't think about any of that anymore. And I think when we're in that place of constant worry and fear, it's hard to have a life of meaning because we are so, our minds are going and racing so much that we can't stay even focused or connected heart-wise to, to anything we're doing, whether it's our children or our career or anything like that. We can't stay with it the way that we do when we consciously apply meaning to our lives. How do you feel? Absolutely. In fact, when you are constantly in that state of stressing and worrying and being fearful, every decision you make is made from that place of fear. So what you're doing is, Every decision you make is a decision where you're trying to move away from something you don't want. So basically, you're thinking that, oh gosh, I've got to do this, otherwise I'll lose all this money. I've got to do this. I've got to uh, have insurance or create funds because otherwise when I get old, I'm not going to be able to do this. So every decision we make is because... We're moving away from a result we don't want. We're not making decisions because, oh, this is what I really want to do. Oh, this brings me joy. Oh, and that is what changed for me after my near-death experience. I had this whole new appreciation for life and for being here, and I just feel that 
life is absolutely uh, something to be enjoyed and to be passionate about. And every decision I, I make today is about, okay, how can we, uh, how can I instill even more joy in my life or have even more fun? It's, um, I know we still have to pay the bills and so on, but um, it doesn't have to be stressful. It just doesn't have to be. I think many of us have bought into something that's not necessarily true. Now, as you were in that state uh, where you were either in between life and death or you had already passed on and were looking back, you were able to see many different things going on. You were able to see uh, what life was like if you had lived and continued, and you were able to see if you were not here what the lives of people would be like around you. Do you think that that is different bubbles of experience that are taking place at the same time, parallel lives, so to speak, and that we have these various many options that are all actually taking place? Or do you think you were being shown the movie and given the choice as to which outcome would transpire? I think it was more like being shown the movie and which which one would um, and being given the choice as to which one would transpire. But it felt as though everything was happening simultaneously. Like even what I um, could describe that kind of seemed like a past life experience with my brother. But I use the term past life uh, loosely because even that felt like it was happening simultaneously. It was so time was like such a uh, it, time was very very fluid in that realm. It was not linear, so everything felt like it was happening simultaneously, and it felt like all these choices were open to me. And no matter which choice I took, it was still perfect. It was still okay because. We never truly actually die. It, we would just go onward into another situation. It would just be, when I say another situation, I mean it would pan out into a different story. So, for example, what I sensed was if I chose not to go back into my physical body, um, then my husband, with whom I, I had a purpose that was very, very closely linked, I got the strong sense that he would not be able to fulfill his purpose either, so he would follow me shortly after. And if that happened, even that that was okay, that was perfect. But if I did choose to go back, there was a lot of things that I yet had to complete here in the physical as well. My guest today is Anita Morjani, and the book is Dying to Be Me. This is a love story, a big, giant, unconditional love story that will give you a renewed sense of who you truly are, why you're here, and how you can transcend any fear and self-rejection that defines your life. Anita speaks with uncommon candor about her cancer, explaining why she believes she had to go down this treacherous road in her life, why she feels she was healed, and why she returned. Again, the book is Dying to Be Me. The author is Anita Morjani, and you can connect with her at anitamorjani.com. We'll be right back. The 7th Wave Channel on The Voice America Network. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444... 
people all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today, www.1111mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly print publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. As you engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. If you'd like to join today's discussion, please call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5795. Again, 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to info at believesc.com. Now back to 1111 Talk Radio with Simran Singh. Dr. Wayne Dyer uh, states that Anita Marjani came into his life as if to place an exclamation point on all that he was receiving in his automatic writing. Her story perfectly demonstrated that we are not bodies, we're neither our accomplishments nor our possessions. We're all one with source of all being, which is God. She lived it and so said it beautifully, and now we're blessed and able to read this wonderful book entitled Dying to Be Me. And Dr. Wayne Dyer actually wrote the foreword, so I know that he is very much a, a supporter of this book and has been having... Anita, along with him, on many talks. I think they just finished up a PBS special as well in March. So this is definitely a book worth reading and definitely a book to understand that you're greater than you think you are. Anita, we are more than this physical body. We we are energetic and we are spiritual and we are all these other things. And before disease ever hits the physical body, it hits these other bodies first. Yes, it hits these other bodies, and we know this first um, like it, it goes through. If I can say, I'm trying to think of the best way to articulate it. But really, the clue is our emotions. It's when we deny our emotions that's when we start to break down at these other bodies, and we start to break down at our energetic level or even our immune system. Even, you know, we start to break it all down. It's when we deny our emotions and when we stop listening to our emotions. That's really where it starts. And um, see, because what I sensed from the other realm is that we really are amazing, magnificent beings. And I felt that that I had spent a lifetime not allowing this magnificence to express itself through this body. And all I really had to do was to allow this magnificence to be authentic and to express itself authentically through this body. I had spent a lifetime making myself much smaller than who I really am and constantly thinking I had to be someone else or I had to work hard at pleasing everyone else around me, not realizing that actually who we are who, who we suppress, who we really are underneath, are perfect. 
we've come here just to express ourselves and be authentic. And your body is now cancer-free completely today? Yes, completely. It was cancer-free from within weeks of the near-death experience. That's amazing. It's an amazing story. What are what is probably? I know that that there are so many lessons that came through that, and and the the most important one was probably uh, just allowing ourselves and and of to be as magnificent as we are and to have that self love. What are any other lessons that you got, or lessons that your husband or family received through this process? Um, one of the things we've all realized is that um, first of all, the most important thing is to to live life from a place of joy rather than a place of fear. So make our choices out of, uh, really out of love and joy for life, love and joy for ourselves. So regardless whether we're choosing to eat healthy foods or, or whatever we're choosing to do, make those choices out of a place of loving life or loving ourselves rather than out of a fear of being ill. And... And also not to take life seriously and um, always make time to laugh. Laughing is so important. And we and to know that we are all spiritual beings. You don't have to work hard at being spiritual. Spirituality doesn't have to be serious. We are spiritual whether we realize it or not. And life is supposed to be lighter and fun and just, and we need to laugh a lot more. And actually, you wrote this book more out of a sense of joy for yourself, of of wanting to share the story first and foremost with yourself as a cathartic process than really any intention to write the book. Speak a little bit about that because I think many people don't realize that sometimes just writing your own story and hearing yourself is the first most important place to go. In fact, um, after I had the near-death experience and I healed from cancer, I had no idea what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And I was having a little bit of trouble understanding everything that had just happened. So my husband suggested I just start writing. And I had never really been a writer before, before my near-death experience. So I just started writing and writing. And then my brother told me of an NDE site. And I didn't really know much about near-death experiences. So I started looking at that site and I thought, this is interesting. And there was a a button to click if if you had an experience yourself to post. So I clicked that button and I submitted my story, which they published on their site. Now, I didn't even give my full name. It just said Anita M. And my story went viral. Much to my surprise, people started sending the link to that story all over uh, all over the planet. And so people started tracking me down and um, the owners of that website told me that my my story had received a lot of publicity and people were talking about me on a forum that was linked to that site. And I had no idea about this. So he gave me the link to the forum. And when I looked, there were all these people talking about my near-death experience and my healing from cancer. So I started participating on the forum and I started answering people's questions. And so I just kept on writing and writing. And then I started writing uh, blogs, and I started writing things on my Facebook page. And so it just kind of grew, and I and I started to gather quite a following. And then um, one day, somebody printed off my original story from that NDE website and passed it on to Wayne Dyer. And um, 
And when Wayne Dyer read it, and again, it, all it said was Anita M's NDE. It didn't even have my real name on it. When he read about my near-death experience and my cancer and the healing, he was blown away, and he contacted Hay House, and he told them, you've got to track this woman down and ask her to write a book and tell her that I will write the forward to her book. Wow, that's incredible. That is an incredible story. And I know that he has done several radio interviews with you, and they are also on your website, in addition to a lot of other video interviews. So people that do want to know more, they can go to anitamorjani.com. As you were in your uh, near-death experience, and you were able to see into the future, could you foresee any of this happening as part of your life purpose? Or what did your life purpose look like from that place? From that place, I... I did sense that I had a big purpose, a big reason to come back, and I had no idea that that um, that the, that I was in a near-death experience. I had no idea that was the reason, but I sensed that I was going to be helping a lot of people, and I knew that it was a large number of people, and I also sensed that I didn't have to figure out how I was going to do it. My only responsibility was to be myself and to always just be myself, be authentic and true to myself. And I knew that just by being myself and allowing uh, whatever came my way to come my way, that my purpose would just unfold before me. Thank you so much, Anita, for being on 1111 Talk Radio. Again, my guest is Anita Morjani. The book you need to go get is Dying to Be Me. The website you need to connect to is anitamorjani.com. In her own wise words, just be yourself, be authentic, allow your magnificence, let yourself love you and be true to you, and let everything else just happen. Until next week, I'm Simran Singh. Be well. Thank you for stepping into the doorway of conscious choice with 1111 Top Radio. Please join host Simran Singh again next Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time for another enlightening edition here on the 7th Wave Network. Remember, shift happens.